picture of my family. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Audra. And Audra was the first lady at Stillville Baptist with me for five years. And now we are serving together. We've moved to the Springfield area. My oldest daughter is Lydia and she, in the beautiful blue dress there. She's 13. Levi is my son. And I can't wait for him to come up and meet your drummer. He loves to play the drums. He is 11. And then Liz is eight. And she is our cute, little, sweet Tasmanian devil. That's just the best way to describe her because she is so full of energy and she loves the Lord and wants to encourage, but she just can't sit still. Oh, she can't sit still. But that is my family and we send greetings to Uptown Baptist and please pray for our family as we're in this new ministry. Well, this morning I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn in it to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. The title of our message this morning is A Church That Is devoted to Jesus. And here we are in the 21st century. When the church age began, Paul called it the last days 2,000 years ago. Here we are living in the last days of the last days, and we need to remember that the same power, the same anointing, the same blessing to be able to reach people, we have that power in the 21st century that we did back in the first century. When the church launched out into the world. And I hope we'll be encouraged. Inside your bulletins there is a listening guide. And you can fill in those blanks as we go. And I hope that you'll take the truths that we learned today together. And share it with somebody. Because you know good news is only good news if it gets there on time. And So when we get the good news we need to share the good news. Let's not keep it to ourselves. And if it's okay out of respect of reading God's word let's stand together. And we're in Acts chapter 2. It'll be on the screen as well, beginning with verse 42. Here's the early church as they began their ministry, as Jesus launched them out into the world. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles' And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And I love this last part, church. I love it all, but I love this last part. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, thank You for Your timeless love, Your power. Thank You for Your faithfulness. And Lord, we know You are the God who created everything. And You are the God who holds it all together. And Lord, this morning we just need to be reminded that You do hold it all together. And Lord, not only that, Lord, You have given us the blessing. You have saved us from the hell that we deserve. And Lord, not only that, you allow us the privilege, the privilege of being used to be your hands and your feet. And in this time, what an opportunity to be your hands and feet and to be your mouthpieces. Lord, use us, use us, use us. And may this message, may this time with you stir us to go out with love and hope and peace and to share the good news and invite people to your son. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. 
It is such a blessing to be with you. Brother Mark and Brother Doug and Brother Philip and all of you, uh, thank you for your warm welcome. I just feel right at home. And I really, really appreciate that. And I hope you feel the, the love that, that I have for you as well in the Lord. The first sermon point that we need to realize is we live in an age with many preachers and churches that call themselves Christian. But there are many counterfeits out there. That is a problem and a reality that exists in this world. And how beautiful it was to pull up this morning after driving along beautiful Lakeshore Drive and to see this lighthouse here reaching the world. All these languages, all the churches planted. This is what we're called to do to take the true message of Christ. But there are counterfeits out there. And another problem we have on the next screen is that many true churches have grown lukewarm. So we have counterfeits that are out there that are trying to draw people away from the true gospel. And then we also have the problem of churches with the true message that have lost their love for the Lord. And they have lost their love for the people who need Christ. Many times Christians get trapped in routine. We get tunnel vision. And we just go through the motions instead of being on mission for the Lord. Jude warned us about days like today in verses 3 and 4 of that book. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, he says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly. That word earnestly just means sincerely. For the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. In other words, they turn the gospel of Jesus Christ into live for yourself. Live for your flesh. Live for your immediate pleasure and call it Christian. That is not the true gospel. The true gospel is we must admit to God that we're sinners and that we deserve hell. We must believe Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead. And then we have to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Save me and help me turn my life over to you. We need to remember that true gospel in this world. And then Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21 said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And what he's saying there is the will of the Father is that you come to Jesus as a humble sinner and repent and turn to Him and ask Him to forgive you of your sin because whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now as the early church was launched by Jesus out into the world, here's your next truth in your outline this morning. The early church experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And can't you feel His presence right now? Woo, when we started singing that, Jesus is the answer. Woo, I needed that. I needed that. And He's the Holy Spirit. He is God's presence in you. He indwells you. What a blessing that we have Him. And the early church experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine this? The next point. 3,000 people saved at Pentecost. As Peter preached that sermon there in Jerusalem. And by the way, they didn't have the Old Testament yet. He preached from the Old Testament. That's all right. People got saved. 
Because he said, you know this Messiah that it talks about all through the scriptures that you are waiting for? He's come. And he can save you now. I bet the, the arms of all the ones doing the baptizing were tired by the end of that day. But oh, it had to be a wonderful tired. A wonderful tired. And all those baby Christians wanting to hear more and wanting to grow. And isn't that what we want to see again? Now look at this next point in your message. We're just going to briefly go through what does it look like when we're in love with Jesus? What does revival look like when our churches fall in love with Him again? The early church was purely and simply in love with Jesus. I've got uh, news for you this morning. You don't have to go to seminary to know all about Jesus' love. And in fact, I'm, I, I'm, I'm all for seminary. We should prepare ourselves. But listen, we should never over-intellectualize our faith. We should have the love of a pure, simple child. Just like that young man, when well, he's ready to come up here and preach this morning. That enthusiasm, that love. It's just like Liz has a reminder, even last night, and before I left to come up this way, she said, Daddy, God is with you. And He's going to be preaching right beside you. And we need to remember that we've got to keep a childlike faith. And Peter says this as he writes this letter during the early church. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, he says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So this early church had a simple, pure love for Jesus. They kept it simple. I like that you all say you keep it real. More, more churches need to say that. We need to be real. We need to be authentic in our relationship. In the Psalms, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 133, he says, Establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. I have a, a very small brain. And so if I can put God's word in there, there's not room for a lot of that bad stuff. As my mama said growing up, son, garbage in, garbage out. And we need to put the truth of God's word in so that his word will come out from us. Part of having the faith of a child is staying devoted to the word of God. So this early church, they had that pure, childlike faith. And here's your next point in your sermon outline. They were hungry to be taught the Word of God. It is so encouraging to me as a preacher this morning to see you hungry for the Word of God. I can tell that Uptown Baptist is a church that faithfully teaches the Word of God. And it does not return void. It always bears fruit. And as they were hungry for God's Word and continued to be hungry and they took it in, and they didn't just take it into their minds, but as they applied it to their lives, their hunger for God's Word made them strong. But the reason they were strong is because they were on their knees. They knew that they had to be dependent on the Lord. But when the world was asking for questions, that early church had answers. And see, there's where we are today. The world is asking questions. What's going on? Are we going to be okay? Where's God? Does He care about me? Something's just not right in this world. What needs to happen? And that gives us the opportunity to point people to Christ. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need to turn to the word of God. And then, and then in Timothy, Timothy says this, 
In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture, from Genesis all the way to the maps, if you have maps in the back, from Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. We need to stay devoted to the Word of God. Listen, human knowledge will never progress beyond what God has in His timeless Word, right? And we need to stay anchored in His Word. And in Isaiah, God says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41 verse 10, He says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When we are anchored in the Word of God, when the storms come, we're able to stay strong. And we're not just strong in the sense of being able to weather the storm, but we're also a refuge for others. And we invite them to come to Christ, and we're able to be a salvation station. Amen? And by the way, the church is not the place of our ministry. It is the base of our ministry. The church is not the only place of our ministry. It is the base of our ministry. And we go out into the world from here. But we do need to be here as a family. And we need that time in the Word. And we need to be taught and charged up. And then we go out into the world. Another aspect of the early church. Next point in your notes. The early church enjoyed close fellowship. They were real. They did life together. They didn't just come and go through the motions. It was not a religious ritual. By the way, did you know Satan loves religion? He loves empty ritual. And he uses all kinds of rituals to get people's eyes off of the fact that they need a real relationship with Jesus. This early church was in love with Jesus and they were in love with each other. And that kept them unified and loving. And then we see in Psalm 133 verse 1. The psalmist says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Did you know when you serve the Lord closely together as a family, everybody's got a few quirks? There's some differences. But you know we're called to work together as a family? And maybe in this time of trial, our churches will be more unified because we realize, hey, we've got more important things to face than to fire on one another. Satan loves to turn churches from duets into duels. But God wants us to have harmony together. Jesus said this. He said in John 15, 13, He says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That just means we should be willing to sacrifice for one another. This church loved the Word of God. They were devoted to close fellowship. Here's your next point. They were devoted to praying together often. Their praying gave them amazing power. Satan loves churches that are busy, but don't pray. And we need to stay devoted to prayer. Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With what? With what? Let your requests be made known to God. So as we pray for healing for our nation, as we pray for deliverance for our nation, we thank Him. We thank Him that He is faithful. 
We thank Him that He is our provider. We never get a sense that God should serve everything up to us on a silver platter. Although He does. But we should never feel like we deserve it. The only thing I deserve is hell. And God took that away. And all the blessings He gives us every day. So when we pray, we need to have that attitude of thanksgiving. And look at verse 7. This is what happens when we pray this way. And the peace of God. And the peace of God. Which surpasses all comprehension. Will guard your hearts and your minds. Isn't that what we need right now? We need the peace of God to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 14, we see this truth. This is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now, I'm glad God has autocorrect. You know, our phones, if you use that autocorrect in a text, it can get you in trouble. You've got to look at that before you send it because it'll change it. But the Holy Spirit never makes a mistake. Let me give you an example. When I was in college, there were some girls that I really, really liked. And I would pray to God, God, make that girl like me, please. I would love it if she would go out with me. And sometimes it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out at that time. But you know what the Holy Spirit was doing? He knew that he had Audra out there. And once I realized what God was doing, I am so thankful He didn't answer all those prayers the way I wanted them to be answered at the moment. Sometimes God does things we can't understand at the time, but we need to trust Him. And as we pray, we know He is going to bless us with His will being done. Here's the next point in our sermon, the next truth. There was not a sense of complacency in the early church. And this church knew they were not going through the motions. God's presence gave them a sense of awe because He was working and He was changing lives. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 43 again. It says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Yes, there were physical miracles taking place. And when Jesus was doing His ministry on the earth, many physical miracles. But what is always the greatest miracle? When someone is saved. When someone comes to Jesus, right? He is so faithful and He does that. And then here's the next truth. The early church believers were cheerful and generous givers. So they gladly shared everything. And we a lot of times think financially. And yes, that's part of what we're blessed with. And we need to be good stewards and as, as this church is extremely faithful. Thank you. But it's also our relationships, isn't it? It's our time, it's our talents and our resources. How much of what you have is owned by God? What percent? Thank you. I was at one church and somebody went, 10%. God owns it all. And we're managers of it for Him. And this early church understood that. And you know what? They didn't give because they had to. They did it because they get to. You know what I love about Brother Mark? I can tell. He loves to serve the Lord because he gets to. It's not something he has to do. It's something he gets to do. And I see that all over this place in this wonderful body of believers. And the early church shared together. Acts 2, 44 and 45. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property possessions, sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They were generous. They were loving. And yes, they were cheerful. And then in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. 
Look at what Malachi says about faithful giving. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And then look at what God says. He says, test me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. All God is saying there, and did you know that giving, the importance of giving and sharing with the Lord and using your blessings, that's in Genesis and in Malachi? It must be pretty important if it's at the beginning of the Old Testament and the end. But all God's saying here is, you can't outgive me. And when the Lord calls us to serve Him, He will bless us. And the early church understood that. And as a result of all of this, their childlike faith, their love of the Word of God, their passionate prayers, their close fellowship, their sacrificial giving. Look at what happens. The early church, here's your next point, they had impact with their community. So even non-believers knew that God was with the church. And so, Uptown Baptist, it's important that these people who don't know Jesus yet out here in this wonderful harvest field that we have around us, they need to know there's something different about us. They need to understand there's just something different about them. They have a, they have a, a, a smile on their face. They have a spring in their step. They don't look like they were weaned on dill pickles. They don't look like they were baptized in lemon juice. There's something different about them. And this early church, they had impact with lost people. Verses 46 and 47 of chapter 2. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they took their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And now, church, we're at my favorite part. I love all of this. But look at this last point. The early church was a soul-winning church. They were soul-winning because everyone was sharing the gospel. People were coming to Jesus almost every day. So how do you describe that early church? They were a soul-winning church. And I was at a conference one time and I heard a pastor say, well, that term soul-winning just sounds so outdated. And I thought, listen, if it's in God's Word, there is no expiration date. And we need to use it. Maybe the reason our churches are struggling and drifting a little bit is we've forgotten about this. And by the way, are any of us going to share the gospel perfectly? Can I share a story? Can I testify to my mess up? When I was 19, I answered a call into the ministry and uh, in East Tennessee... And my pastor called me and he said, Scott, he said, we're going to take nine people to a little town in Illinois called West Frankfurt. And it's along the interstate there. And we're going to spend three days learning how to share the gospel. And it was when we were doing a, a, an emphasis called Faith Sunday School Evangelism Strategy. I don't know if you all participated in that at all, but it taught you how to share the gospel on your hand. And so I went up there and learned and came back. And then a few weeks later, I went out on my first date with Audra. And I had never led anyone to the Lord, but I had learned how to use my hand. And, and, and the outline was F-A-I-T-H. Well, as I got to sharing with her and she was uh, listening to me, I asked her a question. I said, 
In your opinion, Audra, what do you understand it takes for a person to get to heaven? And she said, well, I've never robbed a bank. I've never, I've never taken someone's life. She said, I've gone to church all my life. My mom even brought, took us on Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, every time they were open. And she said, well, but I, Scott, I, I don't know. I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm good enough. Well, then I really got nervous. You know why? Because then I knew I had to share with her, Brother Mark. And so I said, well, what, 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 what? You'd be okay if I shared with you how the Bible answers that question? And so I began to share. And instead of spelling F-A-I-T-H, I said, God has forgiveness for you. And if you give your life to Him, it'll be everlasting, eternal, if you'll turn to Jesus. So instead of faith, I spelled feet. So if I had somebody score in my presentation, I probably would have made a D minus. But you know what? Do you know what? She gave her life to Jesus. Yes. And Audra was the first person I ever got to lead to the Lord. And she's now my wife and partner in ministry. And it was so reassuring to know He uses our imperfect efforts. And so, so many of us say, well, I'll share the gospel with somebody when I'm ready. Listen, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He will give you the words, won't He? Look at Acts 2.47. He says, they were praising God. They were having favor with the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. God has a history of bringing blessing and revival from places in the world that the world does not expect. Does Illinois have some problems? But wouldn't it be just like God to start revival in Illinois Baptist churches? Wouldn't it be just like God for Him to pour out revival at Uptown Baptist Church? And for those people to get so in love with Jesus that in the midst of a national crisis, He pours out His Spirit, people come to Christ, people are saved. And then it spills out into the world and people are saying, what's going on up there in Illinois? They're praising the Lord. And then they start sending out godly women and godly men. Young people leading worship. Pointing people to Jesus. He can do that. He can do that again today. And to anyone who says soul winning is out of style, just look at Proverbs 11 verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And when he says righteous, that means righteous before God. The fruit of the forgiven. Did you know there's no... Good people in heaven. Just forgiven people. The fruit of the forgiven. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who is wise wins souls. Let me ask you a question. How long is your home or your apartment, wherever God has you, He's blessed you with, how long is that going to last? Is that going to be eternal? That dwelling? And my, what a beautiful building you have. Man, there's lots of churches that would just absolutely, they're drooling to have a place like this. But how long is it going to last? It's not going to last forever, is it? 
God tells us that everything on this earth, He's actually going to remake the heavens and the earth, and it will be like a fire that remakes the earth again. And then it's going to be incredible what He does. But we need to remember, the things we get obsessed about in this life are temporary. Maybe that's why gold is the pavement of heaven. For us to remember, we don't need to be obsessed about it in this life. But how long does a soul last? Forever. And what does God treasure? Or should I say, who does God treasure? On this earth, people are God's treasure. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the children, the people of the world. We need to get our focus right, don't we, church? And look at this point. God wants to send revival to His church today. And what is revival? Is it a meeting? Well, we can have revival meetings. Those are good. But revival is a state of being in the church. Revival is a state of being in your own life. When you are in love with Jesus and you're living out the mission that He has for your life with passion and with joy. Let me ask you this question. Has there been a time in your life when you were more in love with Jesus than you are today? If you can look back on that time in your life or in your family or in your church, then that means we need revival. And as one of our great Baptist leaders in the past, Adrian Rogers, has said, and, and I've heard Fred Luter in New Orleans share this verse as well, this, this, this uh, teaching as well. If you want to see revival in America, draw a circle around yourself and pray for, pray for revival inside of that circle. And that's how we see revival, don't we? But we need to understand the same power the early church enjoyed is available to us right now. Right now. And too many churches, they, they put too much faith. They say, well, if we can just get a young preacher, it's fired up. Fired up. That sounded a little hillbilly, sorry. Yes, the pastor needs to be fired up. But a gospel-centered church is not just about the pastor. But a gospel-centered church has the pastor in the midst of his congregation, and they're all charging out with the gospel together. That is a church that's on fire. And too many of our churches, we, we have made our churches, we, we, we kind of build them up like a fortress instead of a lighthouse. And yes, we do need to be strong. But we've got to remember we have to go out. That early church went out. And here, this, let's look at this next verse and talk about it just for a minute. Second Chronicles 7.14 This is an important verse. Let's read it and then let's talk about it. God says, and my people. Now, when this verse was written, He's talking to Israel. They had dedicated the temple and can you imagine being there when the Shekinah glory of God came down? Whew. Man, what do you do with that, Brother Mark? The Shekinah glory. But then God told him, he said, now listen, y'all are going to get away from me. And I know what I would have said. No, God, I'm not getting away from you. I just saw your glory cloud. But God knew how we are. Just like in that hymn. Come thou fount of every blessing. He said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
But he said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and do what? Thank you. And see, in America, we come and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. We're really singing, oh, how I love money. Oh, how I love comfort. And how we live our lives. And God says, I'm not interested in your songs. I mean, your songs are good. But I'm watching what you do. And the Holy Spirit fills us and He says, if we will turn from our wicked ways, then He says, then I will hear from where? And will forgive the church's sin. Okay? Or He says, I will forgive Israel's sin. And then will heal their land. Who has the answer for America? And where does the answer live? Have have you given your life to Jesus? If you have, raise your hand. His power lives inside of you. The answer for America lives in us. And so this verse, a lot of times people quote this verse, and then they point at the politician they don't like, wherever they are, and they say, it's their fault. The reason there's a problem in America does not reside at the White House or at the Capitol or at the State House. It originates in our homes. It originates in our churches. And if God will bring revival, He will send out healing from us into the land. And it will affect everything across every party line, every racial line, every line that's out there. It will permeate our culture and heal our land. And we need to understand that. Now look in Acts 3.19. Here's a promise from God to us. And this promise was given to the early church. This promise was given to those who refused to believe in Jesus. But also those who were falling away. He says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just forgive you? He forgets it. When somebody does something to you, Can you forgive them with God's help? But can anybody forget? I'm going to be, I'm going to confess, Brother Mark. Maybe you're better than I am, but I don't forget. I have to have God help me over and over and over. But when God forgives us, He forgets. He says it's gone as far as the east is to the west. And then look at what He says. In order that times of refreshing... Say that with me. Times of refreshing. Isn't that what we need? I was praying with our state leaders this week and we were realizing that we've got some mercy drops around us. You know, there have been between three and 4,000 people baptized in our churches this last, last year. And we praise God for that. But at the same time, mercy drops around us are falling. But we're, ple- we're pleading for showers of blessing. We need showers. We need God to pour out His presence in our land. And if we'll turn to Him, He will do that. So let's pray for that together. And and finally, as we get ready to close the message this morning, this is important. This may not be in your notes, but it's extremely important. I'm going to come down here and try not to fall down. In order to enjoy a relationship with Jesus, you must be born again. Now, when I was nine... I had some uh, grandparents 
that really taught us about the Lord. And they had lived lives that were very far from the Lord and they had discovered Him. And my memaw, Lois Foshi, developed breast cancer when I was in the third grade. And I will never forget her talking to me. I had heard the songs about Jesus. I knew Jesus loved me. I knew Bible verses. I had good Sunday school teachers. But she said, Scott, she says, I don't know if I'm going to win this battle against cancer or not. But she said, let me tell you this. I'm a winner either way. Because I gave my life to Jesus. And He's my Lord and He's my Savior. And He forgave me. I have a relationship with Him. And I know that if God decides to take me home, I'm going to go be with Him in glory. And then she looked at me and she looked at a couple of my other cousins my age, Nick and Rebecca. And she said, now I hope you all know Him too. And you know, that pierced right through me. Because at that moment I began to realize that I knew about Jesus. There's so many people that know about God, but they don't know Him personally. Look at what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3.3. 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night. He was one of the foremost experts in the Old Testament on planet Earth at the time. Comes to Jesus in the night wondering about this message that he has of forgiveness and knowing God and having a relationship. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I know you've got 10 PhDs in Old Testament history. Maybe not exactly that, but he said, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this morning, on this March morning, you're not here by accident. I'm not here by accident. Wow. I can't wait to tell my grandparents in heaven that I got to preach at Uptown Baptist Church in Chicago. This is the honor of my life to be here this morning with you. But God... He wants you. The real invitation is from Jesus to all of you. And to me. If you are a believer in Jesus, you already know Him. He's calling you to revival. He's saying, fall in love with me again. And if you don't know Jesus, He's saying, come to me right now. Come to me. I think we got one more scripture, don't we? Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And this is what the Bible closes with. An invitation. And this is our purpose. He says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, says, come to Jesus. And then he says, the bride says, what? Who's the bride? If you are saved, here comes the bride. So the Spirit's job is to say, come, and the bride's job is to say, come. The reason our churches struggle is we've forgotten to say come. We're not living out our purpose, so we're Israel wandering in the wilderness. The Spirit and the bride say come. And then he says, then he makes it personal. Talk about getting real. He says, let the one who hears. Who's the one who hears? Every person who is saved says come. And then... Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who, is wishes take, who wishes take the water of life without cost. Let's bow our heads. This morning, there's someone here. In a crowd this size, there has to be someone who realizes you're not born again. 
and you need to come to Christ. I'm going to ask those of you who are already believers in Jesus, you know you're born again, I'm going to ask you, would you pray for revival in your church? There may be some leaders that need to come and pray at this altar. There may be some folks that just come and pray. And you can stay far enough apart to be safe. (laughs) But you can come and pray for God to bring revival. You can pray right where you are. Pray for God to move in this time of invitation. And this morning, if you need Jesus, I just want you to know He loves you. He saved me and He'll save you. And you can admit to God you're a sinner. And you can believe Jesus died for you on that cross. That He rose from the dead. And you can call on Him. Ask Him to save you. And three times in the Scripture, in Joel, and then in Acts and Romans, three times in the Bible, this verse appears, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If God said it three times, He means it, right? If He said it three times, He means it. And you can come to Jesus right now. Won't you pray with me from your heart to God and you can begin a relationship with Him? Not knowledge of God, but a relationship. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that because of my sin, I deserve hell. But thank You for Jesus. And thank You for sending Him to die for me. Lord, I just ask You to forgive me of my sins right now. And Lord, I need Your help. I need Your help. Help me to turn my life over to You. I can't even do it myself. I need You to help me turn my life over to You. And thank You for saving me. And Lord, now give me courage. Help me to start living for You one day at a time. Help me to tell someone that I've given my life to You today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And there may be someone here this morning.